Hello, I'm Alec Altikov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. I had a very eventful two weeks after I finished recording my last episode. I went up to Akron to watch some golf with my dad while also doing a whole bunch of homework at the same time which derailed me from being able to work on podcasting. But I am here once again to fulfill your needs by beginning our discussion about Frederick's opposite, Maria Teresa. One last thing though, be sure to give me honest feedback by giving me reviews and ratings from wherever you listen. I really appreciate hearing from you and I would specifically like to thank listener Mark P79 from Canada for such an amazing review. Thank you for your patience and waiting for me to publish this episode. I recently did something with the podcaster Emmanuel Dubois, who is the host of Lafayette We Are Here. Please go over there and give his podcast a listen. He deserves a lot more attention than he is getting. But yeah, I'll wait to give you all more details, but just go listen to everything he's published. Lafayette We Are Here. Please go check it out. Anyway. Let's get to today's episode. Last week, we discussed the biography of Frederick the Great's opposite, the Habsburg ruler, Maria Theresa. We covered her life up until Maria Theresa's father died from that infamous bowl of mushrooms. As I I said in the last episode, her childhood was practically a fairy tale compared to Frederick's childhood. Another difference was that Maria Theresa could marry the man that she loved, whereas Frederick had to marry a woman that was, according to Frederick Wilhelm, quote, neither ugly nor beautiful. Frederick the Great treated his wife with other, utter disdain and much preferred the company of men. But anyway, this episode is about Maria Theresa, so let's focus on her. Maria Theresa was actually able to marry for love, which after reading so much about the political system of marriages at the time, is a breath of fresh air. The husband and wife duo of Francis of Lorraine and Maria Theresa were almost inseparable. I say almost because Francis went to war against the Turks in the late 1730s. That whole affair ended horribly with Francis having to go back to Austria to go hunting. But the populace of Austria saw this as cowardice. How dare a foreigner take our army and lose interest in fighting after losing one battle? Maria Theresa and her husband actually ended up having to leave Austria for Tuscany and Italy in order to cool things down. The Austrians made peace with the Turks in 1739, and they lost Belgrade. The very next year, Emperor Charles VI died unexpectedly on October 20th, 1740. This is where I left you folks at in the story. Now let's see what happened, but from the Austrian perspective. So, directly after Charles' death, Maria Theresa appeared in the throne room with her father's advisors. It could clearly be seen that she was deeply mourning the death of her father. She looked rather pale, and her eyes were flushed. With a shaky voice, Maria Theresa thanked the Austrian counselors for their loyalty to her father. Looking around, she noticed how truly out of place she was. She was not educated to rule. She was 23 years old and the ruler of one of the most powerful empires in Europe. 
Maria Teresa also noticed while she was looking throughout the room how old all of her father's advisors were. According to Nancy Goldstone's book on Maria Teresa, only one advisor was under 70 years old. With so little experience, one would think that men of experience would be a good thing for Maria Teresa. Except if you thought that, you'd be completely wrong. These guys were the same guys who told Charles VI, Maria Teresa's father, to go to war against the Turks, and we all saw how that bit him in the butt. I mean, the treasury was down to their last 100,000 florins, and the army could only count on 30,000 soldiers in an emergency. Things looked very bleak for the Habsburg Empire. And then suddenly, it got a lot worse for Maria Theresa. The Bavarian elector, Charles Albert, was married to a Habsburg princess, and he immediately claimed the inheritance of the Habsburg possessions. And of course, we all know that as soon as Frederick heard the news of the death of Emperor Charles, he began to plot to take over the province of Silesia from Maria Theresa. However, Maria Theresa stood firm that she should inherit the Habsburg throne. Not only would she inherit the lands, but she would rule. That's right, the woman who was only meant to ornament the court was going to rule the greatest empire in Central Europe. But she couldn't rule alone. So she promoted her husband to co-regent and in charge of the defense of the realm. However, this was against the advice of her advisors because the population was still against Francis after losing that battle to the Turks. This, according to the advisors of Maria Theresa, would work right in the favor of Bavaria and thus make the regime more unsteady than it already was. However, she paired that unpopular move with some reforms that were popular. She cut trees down from the imperial hunting grounds to give to the peasants for the winter. Illegal poachers in imperial forests would be forgiven so that more people could feed their families. There's a great, there's a great quote from Robert Kahn's book called A History of the Habsburg Empire that describes how Maria Theresa's personality facilitated competence around her. Robert Kahn writes, quote, Maria Theresa, some poor appointments notwithstanding, came out better than her sons. Irrespective of her personal preferences, she selected competent men, even though their political philosophy was on major issues opposed to that of the Empress. Maria Theresa, like Frederick, had a good eye for talent, and she would do her best to surround herself with competent people. However, the measures Maria Theresa made during this time were not enough to relieve the pressure of poverty, and a riot broke out in November of 1740. This riot was put down and did not shake the confidence of Maria Theresa. An English diplomat had a very spicy opinion of Maria Theresa. In a book called Frederick the Great and Maria Theresa from Hitherto Unpublished Docu Documents, 1740 through 1742, which is a very short title indeed, the author, Duc de Broglie, writes, quote, Sir Thomas Robinson's opinion of Maria Theresa at this time was that she possessed far more capacity than might have been supposed from her want of experience, but that was she was too hasty of temper and inclined to rely too much upon the influence of her attractions of persons and matter. Oof, too hasty a temper, huh? 
I wonder if that could foreshadow an event that might happen in the future. Oh, hey, a letter from Frederick II of Prussia saying that he will accept the pragmatic sanction. This surely won't send us into a false sense of security while he secretly builds an army to invade us. I mean, what are the odds that could happen? Frederick even used his influence to persuade Augustus III of Saxony and Poland to accept the pragmatic sanction. Francis of Lorraine, Maria Theresa's husband, even wrote to the Prussian ambassador, quote, Really, King Frederick is behaving like a father to the queen and myself, and we shall never be able to repay our obligations to him. Once the rulers of Prussia and Saxony recognized the pragmatic sanction, the dominoes began to fall into place. England, Russia, Sardinia, and the papacy all agreed to the terms of the pragmatic sanction, but France was waffling. Cardinal Fleury, the really old guy who was in charge of France's foreign policy, had just reassured Emperor Charles back in January of 1740 that France had accepted the terms of the pragmatic sanction and would do nothing to violate it. But in November of the very same year, France had still not quite accepted the terms once Charles had died. This was the icing on the cake after that riot in November. The riot had shaken the confidence of the old Austrian ministers. However, Maria Theresa had the confidence of a lion. Her energy and ability to surround herself with competent people was something that the population of Austria admired. By the end of the month, the British ambassador described Vienna in, quote, perfect tranquility and submission to the new government, and most lively zeal for the service of the queen. But the month was about to become December, and we all know what earth-shattering event happened that would forever change the face of Europe in December of 1740. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go back to episode 22. It's time for war in Silesia. That's right, the first Silesian war began with the Prussian invasion of the Austrian province of Silesia. There was actually some intelligence that Prussia was going to invade that could have helped the Austrians prepare for the attack. But remember that Maria Theresa's advisors were all extremely old and were used to Frederick Wilhelm's policy of creating a massive army without ever actually using it. Maria Theresa was told, quote, do not be afraid. He will just be like his father, who all his life kept his gun loaded and never fired at once. But Frederick fired the shot and invaded Silesia on December 16, 1740, and basically captured the whole province within a month. On December 20, 1740, the Prussian ambassador asked for an audience with Queen Maria Theresa. She refused to meet him and sent her husband in her place. The Prussian diplomat basically said that Austria has two options. Either give Silesia peacefully and Prussia will back Austria up with Prussia's allies, or war and Frederick will simply take Silesia by force. Francis of Lorraine responded by saying, quote, The queen is not reduced to such despair that she must throw herself into the arms of a prince who enters her state as an enemy. Return then to your master, and tell him that, so long as he leaves one man upon the territory of that province, he will per we will perish rather than treat with him. In short, screw you, Prussia. And we all know what happens next. 
Field Marshal Nyberg is sent to raise an army of 20,000 in Moravia to drive the Prussians out. Then, a major political victory occurred for Maria Theresa. On March 13, 1741, Maria Theresa gave birth to a boy, the future Joseph II. This helped legitimize the reign of Maria Theresa as the boy was considered a gift from God. Then, the Battle of Molfitz happened. There's a whole episode that, on that, and I'm not going to go into detail. Austria had to rebuild the army, and Maria Theresa knew that there was one place that would give her manpower. Hungary. Maria Theresa, while pregnant, sailed on the Danube to Pressburg in what is today Bratislava, Slovakia, to become crowned the Queen of Hungary. A part of the ceremony was that she would have to wear this heavy robe of St. Stephen, the first Hungarian king, and ride a horse up this hill while, raving, while waving around a very heavy sword. Keep in mind that this woman is pregnant in the 1700s. It was believed that a cold wind might cause a woman to become sick and weaken the baby, but she managed to pull it off without a hitch. Good on you, Queen of Hungary. She would be crowned on June 25, 1741. The Hungarian nobles promised 40,000 troops to be raised from Hungary, and only 20,000 would actually be given. For those 20,000 troops, the Hungarians managed to receive political concessions such as tax exemptions for all Hungarian nobles. They were also granted further autonomy and were not treated as another Austrian province. For this next bit, I'm going to do a blitz through the major events that took place to catch up where we are at in the narrative. France and Prussia became allies. There was a military maneuvering throughout the second half of 1741, and it looked as if the Allies might capture Vienna. In the winter, the tide turned against the Allies, while Charles Albert of Bavaria was crowned the Holy Roman Emperor in Frankfurt. Then, in the spring of 1742, the Battle of Chotusitz occurred, and the Austrian army was defeated. Directly after the battle, Frederick decided that 5,000 casualties in a single day was enough for him to look for peace. Maria Theresa, no matter how much she wanted Silesia back from the Prussians, knew that the losses against Frederick's army were not sustainable. If Frederick could be drawn out of the war, then Austria could focus on the fight against France. Thus, Austria could regain her strength and possibly retake Silesia in the future. Three days after the Battle of Chotuzitz on May 30, 1742, Frederick wrote to the British ambassador to Prussia that perhaps an armistice could be brokered between himself and Maria Theresa. Negotiations began that summer, and they were intense. Frederick wanted Upper Silesia, the county of Glatz, and the territories of Königgeitz and Padubitz in Bohemia. Maria Theresa hardly wanted to give up Silesia and let others know vehemently that nobody would be touching Bohemia. One time, Maria Theresa burst out, quote, I will not let it be touched even though the King of England should ask it of me at the head of his parliament. I would rather bury myself under the ruins of Vienna. Frederick then limited his demands to Upper Silesia and Glatz. Then on June 11, 1742, the Peace of Breslau was signed that specified that Frederick would leave the war in exchange for Silesia. 
On June 13th, Frederick wrote a letter to the French minister, Cardinal Fleury, that complained about the performance of the French army, specifically the idea to divert attention away from Vienna and capture Prague. Frederick also thought the behavior of Saxony was poor at best. Frederick had disdain for his so-called allies, and that is one of the reasons why he left the war. Then, later in the summer, the Austrians and Prussians signed the Treaty of Berlin on July 28, 1742. This was the end of the First Silesian War. Maria Theresa was furious that she had to let Silesia go, especially after all those political concessions she gave to the Hungarian nobles. But it would be something she would have to live with. She had a war against France to focus on. Charles of Lorraine, the brother of Francis and the Austrian commander at Chotuzitz, defeated a French outpost at Pichek in June of 1742. Throughout the rest of the year, the Austrians would try to recapture Prague from the French army. The tide was in favor of Austria once again. Even Augustus III could see the writing on the wall and pulled Saxony out of the war against Austria two months after the Treaty of Berlin. The rest of the year for the war in Bohemia would be focused on the siege of Prague. Austria would never manage to recapture the city by force. Instead, Cardinal Fleury wrote to the Austrians and asked if the French army could withdraw with honor. And so it was, in December of 1741, the Austrians retook the Bohemian capital. There would be war in Germany between France and Austria in 1743, but Frederick would be on the sidelines. Austria seemed to be on the ascendancy. Maria Theresa was making military and economic moves. Back in 1741, Maria Theresa's government began to undertake measures that promoted mercantilism and industry. Mercantilism is the economic theory that only a trade surplus will create wealth in the country. There were high tariffs that restricted the import of luxury goods. This economic policy was a step in the right direction, and the economy recovered from the absolute low it had under Charles VI. Maria Theresa also began educational reforms that, according to Robert Kahn's book on the Habsburg Empire, she deserves more credit for improving. Her educational reforms mainly affected lower levels and promoted basic literacy, but the overall impact on university-level education was limited. However, Maria Theresa was not progressive on all issues. She was famously anti-Semitic and did not give peasants many rights. Feudalism would not be fully abolished until 1848. She was an autocrat and she did not believe in free speech or democracy. But compared to her father's rule, she was doing considerably better. I believe I shall have to leave you here. This marked the end of the First Silesian War, Austria on the rise, and Prussia sitting this war out. Will there be mutual peace between Austria and Prussia? Only time will tell. I believe that to conclude this week, I shall say that I hope you all have a great week ahead.